Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Gino and I are in studio, and today we are going to talk about your past. Welcome back. Hey, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling good. How are you? You're feeling good. Okay. I am feeling That's good. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Just prompting the conversation. I right? know. The pro that, yeah, yeah. That was uh, one of our talking points was um, on this discussion, how feelings are often used as the criteria to determine uh, the quality of day you're having. Yeah. I think that's a great, uh, great question. I think something worthy of discussion, especially if... Uh, the the common misconception that just because you're a believer, um, I don't think it means that you're necessarily happy every moment of your life. Nope. You know, what's interesting is um, I'm reading that book by Truman on the rise of the modern self. Hmm. And he was talking about his grandpa and he was like, you know, now in today's environment, we ask questions like, do you feel satisfied with your work? And even when we were looking for the word that we were looking for online, uh, doing some research there for, yeah. for the word debilitating, debilitating yep. that we found um, on Google it kept popping up like five ways to battle work depression or five ways to, are you stuck in a rut at work? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because Truman was making this observation that, um, you know, back in his parents' generation, his grandpa probably would have been like, well, why are you asking me that? Like my work is great. It provides for my family. Mm-hmm. We have a home, food, car, vacation because of work. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good point that maybe we shifted from finding satisfaction in work to what the Lord provides from the work to do I feel happy all day at work? Yeah. Like this is some kind of meaningful joy, joy. Yeah. I think that's kind of like in Maslow's hierarchy of needs too, right? It's like, um, you know, it's kind of when you have all of your your physical needs met, all of a sudden you're searching for meaning. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because our attitudes and our feelings change when we're just trying to survive. Yeah. And so, you know, the depression era, era like people are just trying to survive. And, you know, that might have been your grandpa. Yeah. I'm not sure if he, he lived during that time. But when you're just trying to survive, you're not thinking about your feelings. Yeah. You're just thinking about how can I put food on the table for my family? Yeah, that was definitely my grandpa. Yeah. He was 99 years old when he passed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it sounded like he, uh, based on what you described in the latter parts of his life, he just kind of enjoyed it. Very simple things. Yes. Sit on the porch. Yep. Back porch, pipe, trashy. And by trashy, I mean trashy. <laughs> trashy coffee. <laughs> like I would not drink the coffee with him. Trashy. Yeah. Not even a courtesy. But he was satisfied. Yeah, enjoyed it. <laughs> loved enjoyed loved it. his life. And there's there's a point to that, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, very thankful man, very, very generous in his thinking and love. And uh, even though he didn't have a lot of financial wealth, again, he was generous with what he had. 
And uh, yeah, it's a whole different perspective, right? Because today we sit around and we wonder like, am I fulfilled at work? Is my work fulfilling? Am I happy? And, and I, I'm not saying those are necessarily bad. Of course, I don't want people to feel downtrodden or depressed. Uh, but sometimes I wonder like, where did the expectation come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's fair. I think so. Or even when somebody says, well, I'm just really feeling down lately. Like, pray for me. Well, I we don't ever ask the question. And some people don't even want the question. Well, why are you feeling down? But, I mean, the answer to that could be how many different answers? Who knows? I mean, so, I mean hundreds of answers. Yeah. I mean, our hearts are, are like wanting machines. Yeah. Who knows what it wants at any given time? Yeah. Maybe you're feeling down because you wanted tacos and the line was too long and you didn't have enough time to grab tacos. Right. I mean, that's pretty good reason to feel down. But mm-hmm. that's not a sinful reason to feel down. That's just like, oh man, I'm bummed. I don't, I can't get some tacos, so I'm going to go settle for a lesser. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe you're feeling down because of your sin. Yes. Right. Maybe you're like you actually know, like you're not, you haven't been living right. Yeah. And so maybe you're despondent over your sin, mm-hmm. and maybe you're just refusing to deal with what you know you need to deal with. Mm-hmm and you're refusing to repent. Um, Psalm 34, I think. Psalm 34. If I'm not mistaken. Um, what verse? The whole thing? Uh, Yeah. Uh, no, well, um, I mean, it's a, it's a longer one. Oh, yeah. I will bless the Lord at all times. Yep. I thought it was Psalm 34. It could be Psalm 35. See, this is... Well, the, the, the encouragement here is uh, relevant, though. Yes. Right? Well, I mean, yeah. How do you say? I will bless the Lord at all times. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yep. It doesn't say, it, you know, it doesn't, there's no reservation as to when. It's It's like in the midst of whatever you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely, um, you're right. There's the there's the psalm where David's talking about wasting away. Mm. Why did Psalm 34 pop up? Well, maybe the end. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord deliver, delivers him. Yeah, he keeps all his bones, and one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. Maybe that's not it, but um, it sounded good. Well, see there, even Psalm 32:10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. And, and that is true, right? That, that if you're, I think this is the problem with, with the depression discussion is um, you, you potentially read a Psalm 3210, many are the sorrows of the wicked. And somebody says, oh, well, if you're, if you're feeling sorrowful or despondent or depressed, then obviously there's an unrepentant sin. And um, that may, I think my, my response is, well, that may be true. Mm-hmm. It may be, yes, that you have unrepentant sin. Um, however, it might also be that um, that you just lost a loved one and you're sad. Mm-hmm. And is that, do you need to go repent of that? Like, okay, Lord, I repent of my family member dying. You know what I mean? So yeah. at some level it's like, um it's not wrong. Your, your despondency or depression could be because you're not, you're in sin. I was thinking of David, right? My bones waste away. Um, 
And in that is this reality that, that David's sin, um, um, so, that is oh yeah, Psalm, Psalm 32, 32, yeah, Psalm 32. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I knew it was close. Yeah. It's the thing is what you have to realize is that it's on the right of my Bible on the left column. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yes. And so Until you change your Bible. Yes. And so I've, ch- I'm, I'm not using that Bible today. So mm-hmm. I can't, I can't look at that, mm-hmm. but it's, it, that's where it is in the Bible that I read for, I kept silent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. So it is possible, right? That our, that our sinfulness is causing despondency. Um, but it's also possible that you're feeling down or depressed for right reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just lost my best friend. Well, yeah, feel down. Like, yeah. I mean, even, I mean, even when you lose a loved one who knows Jesus Christ and you know, they're resurrected, there's still a like, man, I miss my friend. You know, there's still this like, Oh, I'm sad that my, my buddy's gone. Right. You know? And it's like, is it wrong that there's kind of a like, Hey, this is the anniversary of my loved one's death. And I feel sad today. Like, is that wrong? I, it's hard for me to look at somebody and say, no, that's, that's wrong. You yeah. know? Yeah. No, you're right. I think, I mean, you can't. Yeah. I, I think when maybe, maybe the discussion is like when it, when you're thinking, uh, when you feel sad and it becomes debilitating. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what we're getting at here. That uh, debilitating kind of sadness. There's something going on. That's not right in the thinking. Yes. When it becomes debilitating. So I right, like, yeah, we lost our, our son and we feel whenever I think of him, like I feel sad. Yeah. But it, you know, it, it, it doesn't change what I need to do on a daily basis. That's true. Yeah. That's a good, that's good G because yeah, I think that's the problem for me when it becomes debilitating. Yes. And that's ultimately where I think a question like that is good. Like I've, Hey, I'm feeling down today, but why are you feeling down? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the why is the huge question. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you live in a world that's like, well, you're feeling down. Something's wrong. Yeah. That That's the knee jerk response of the world. You should feel happy. We have pills for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's another vein. There, there are some people that, that there's just something wrong chemically mm-hmm. and they'll tell you like, Hey, that this, this, slight medication helps me. Yep. And so we are not medical professionals. And so I struggle when I hear Christians giving medical advice to other Christians or I mean, not just Christians, anybody gives medical advice to other people and they're not a doctor. It's like, Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah. But I created a meme on why you should take this medicine. Gotcha. I struggle with that. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, there's a lot more going on there that I don't understand. Uh, and my guess is Google doesn't, doesn't explain it all to you anyway. Excuse me. But I think we're um, all professionals at uh, Ukraine now. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah. So de- depression, right. I think you're right. When it becomes debilitating, you have to ask the question, why, mm-hmm. what, why, why I think that's why you have to ask the question. Why am I feeling down? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, if you're depressed now that that's actually, I think what Psalm 32 is about, right? That, that here, David isn't repenting. He knows about his sins and yet he, the lack of repentance is create is heaping up more depression 
and more wasting away. Right. Right. And so if he were to ask why and go, oh, it's because I'm refusing to repent, well, then the solution is there to repent and to have faith and to trust and to find your rest in the gospel. You know, if you're sad because of, you know, so let's think of what are the major ones that people deal with? Sin, um, maybe things aren't going your way at work, maybe you got bad news. Again, at some level, all of that's like, yeah, I'm not going to get on to you for kind of being upset today that you got bad news. Well, you you also talk about the, uh, you mentioned earlier, ideal versus reality. It's kind of like um, we set up certain expectations for the way things should be, which is the ideal. Yes. But the reality is that it's always going to fall short of that expectation. And even if it meets it, you'll find another expectation to grow into. And, um, you know, whether those expectations are biblical or not, I mean, that's that's one thing you need to ask the question. I mean, are those expectations biblical? Um, and maybe that's the, 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 the stick that we measure everything by, you know. Because is happiness a fair expectation to have biblically? Uh, All the time. All the time, right? Yes. Yeah. And it seems like the answer would be no. I mean, even Jesus wept and even Jesus was was sad um, at times. When Even when Lazarus passed, he, he, he was sad. Yeah. Um, he grieved over Jerusalem. So there's a real sense that, like, obviously sorrow and sadness is part of human, uh, human living, human life. We live in a sinful world. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's the difference between eternity where, you know, there's no more tears process everything a little bit differently. But right now we do live in a sinful world and we deal with sadness on a regular basis and it's almost expected. So you're uh, right. So expectations of, for the self is interesting. We'll see. And th- we should have done this in the intro, but we'll do it now um, because you kind of brought this up in our pre-discussion here. We kind of were like, well, you know, a lot of people are wrestling with their past. And and sometimes past events create PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which I'm not a big psychology guy, but I, I, do, I do believe and have seen how, like, psychology gets that right. There are some people that because of a past experience or experiences or a series of experiences or a living condition, how that affects them this day in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can even testify personally to have gone through it. Um, no other people that have gone through it. So we kind of, we kind of want to sit down and say, Hey, let's wrestle with your past. But then there was also this ideal versus reality that kind of is, is woven into that because that's, that's one of the big problems of us, us being people is that like you just said that we have this expectation of conceptually perfect, but then reality is different. And you know, somebody will come and be like, well, I mean, biblically, we should just all be able to confess our sins to each other. But that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And there's that ideal world where you could even look at a scripture, James, that says confess your sin to one another. Um, but in reality, that doesn't always happen. And there's there's actually, I think, a wise reason for why that doesn't always happen too, by the way. Mm-hmm. But there's that. So that we kind of talked about before integrating, okay, we want to talk about 
how do you wrestle with your past ideal versus reality? And then you brought up like, this is definitely can all connected to even kind of the modern despondency, debilitating emotions that, that is a big part of this world today. And Truman talks about it a lot in that book, rise and fall of the modern self or the rise of the modern self. And so the, all of these are, are really connected together principally. And you're right. Even around that word expectations. Yeah. 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 Our circumstance in life, our past, um, all go into the expectations we create. And, and so nothing wrong with expectations, obviously, but how do you respond is always the question to when expectations are not met. Yeah. Well, and that's why Um, we had that podcast on expectations because they're there just by way of reminder. If if somebody's not listened to it, then you should go back and listen to it. But there we talk about how often we expect other people to act or perform or think a certain way where really we need to put the expectation on myself, Mm -hmm. but we still do have this like, well, this is the way the world should be. And I do think that's the temptation for Christians is to try to make this earth heaven and we don't realize heaven's heaven and this earth is this earth. And there is something in us that wants to make this earth heaven. And that that's the Tower of Babel, right? They wanted to make a tower, a name unto themselves that united the whole world. They were, they were trying to make an ideal culture, an ideal little city there. And God came along and was like, nope, and he smashed it. And he gave them languages and he, you know, made sure that it was harder for them to communicate to shut down that, that propensity in us to make a heaven for ourselves on earth that is devoid of God. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're unified around the idea that God is okay, but our name is greater. Yes. And so they're, they're kind of, they're kind of moving under that banner of like, let's make our name great. Um, and that's problematic for God because and actually God did the wise thing, which is confuse them. Mm-hmm. Slow down that process. Um, and ultimately, you know, there will be a, another Tower of Babel um, incident, some some kind of uniting of everybody oh, that does not include God. Um, but, I mean, that's besides the point. I think the point we're trying to make here is that, you know, the way we think, how we think, how it relates to the past and, you know, how we're feeling today, we're asking the question, well, what are we supposed to feel like and how do we navigate what the past does to us today? Yeah. So how do we? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's really like that, you know, so just to kind of build upon that ideal versus reality a little bit too. Um, I think a lot of us struggle realizing that you need to assess today at some level based on reality um, that it's okay to have an ideal, right? And because that's our life, my, I am striving to be more like Jesus Christ who is the ideal. And so the, the, the fact that my day is not always perfectly like Christ is reality. And it doesn't take away from the striving. And at the same token, I have to realize I can't make today. I can't, I can't make other people or, or today be like heaven or Jesus Christ. So all I can right at the end of the day, all I can do is control me. Uh, I know 
heaven is coming. I know God's re- going to recreate the heavens and the earth and remake this earth into the heavens. I know that, but but that's not reality today. Reality today is we live in a fallen world where there are sinful people in authority ruling over the lands around the earth with a sinful culture that wants self-worship, not God-worship. And reality is I'm here to evangelize them and to tell them the gospel and to sanctify the elect. Yes. Yeah, I think that, um, that I guess that's what, what Christians um, should understand the the like okay what are, what am I supposed to, what does it mean in this time or what does it mean for me as I go through suffering as I go through sadness as I, whatever it is right because it could be sadness it could be some kind of suffering like what does it mean for me to grow in Christ likeness like because you still have to grow in Christ likeness yeah so the problem is you have this thing that's debilitating you. So you, you need to ask the question, okay, what does it look like for me right now to be Christ-like? Number one, what should I think? And then number two, what should I be doing? And I think those two, they're, they're so intertwined because what you think is what will lead to what you'll do, right? And so you're, you're kind of bringing up the, the, the kind of the Christian mandate. Uh, the mission is to make disciples, um, and that should be the ultimate, like that. That is our our what is it called? Our call to, to yeah. mission, or call yeah. to, or it's our mandate. It really is our mandate. Yeah. Um, both yeah. individually and corporately. Yes, and that that's a huge. Individually, I have a role, and corporately, we together have a role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that balance is huge, but that's for another podcast. So, um. In the sense, right, because I see this all the time. Um, well, they should not want abortion. I, I agreed. But rather than realizing that they are sinful and acting out their sinful tendencies and their selfish thinking, we fire off insults or belittling or hatred or vitriol. Mm-hmm. because they're not living up to the ideal rather than the reality is, yes, you're in a fallen world, right? And that, that's the worldview to realize you're in a fallen world. And because you know the difference and because you know why they do what they do, therefore don't be shocked. But instead the goal is to try to serve them in an imperfect world and show them the perfect savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we've all done it imperfectly too. Yes. Right. But I think we're growing to realize that. And the Lord does even use our imperfect, our imperfect ministry. Um, but then as we grow in Christ's likeness, we realize that the ministry is a, is a patient teaching ministry. Yeah. And that, um, I guess, shaming is not necessarily the most long-term uh, beneficial kind of way to, to, to help somebody. Yeah, because then then you're you are basically playing up their fear of man. If I don't do it right, then I'm gonna they're gonna make me feel this way, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna lose status. And so shaming is the worst way. Whereas the reality is you want to you want to encourage them to have the convictions 
to live based off their convictions. Yeah, and those crisis pregnancy centers, the way they, they um, serve those women is they, they provide services and they show the baby, you know, with the ultrasound um, equipment that they that they get, which is probably one of the most expensive things that they can get for those clinics. And when the mother sees the baby, all of a sudden they realize, oh, my thinking was off. This is actually a live human being in, <laughs> um, you know, in utero. Yeah. Um, I can't kill it. Yeah. It's it's a human being, so it's interesting. So like they didn't, you know, they approach that situation. Say, well, let's let's get equipment and show them what it looks like. That's a great way to do that. It is because it shows them reality. It shows them reality. Yeah, because I think Planned Parenthood will call them um, clumps of cells. You just have a clump of cells. We're going to get out of you. Yeah, and I don't think they they do that kind of treat. Like you know, I don't think they they show them, you know, ultrasounds and things like that. They just kind of like, oh, you want an abortion? Let's do it. Yeah, twenty bucks a pop. Yeah. Apparently. Is that all it is? Yeah, apparently it's cheap. Oh, but they do goodness. so many of them that they make, you know, which is sad. They, they make. It's probably subsidized. Well, it is subsidized too, but they make, they make I mean, it's a billion dollar industry. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think that, that's the reality that you, at some point, yes, you strive for ideal. Uh, I want to strive for excellence. But here's, here's the problem. It's at some level your ideal, some ideal people are perfectionists. And to be a perfectionist is actually a prideful sin. And, and so in that Stuart Scott book on pride, he talks about them. One of the manifestations of pride is to be a perfectionist. And that's the idea that everything has to be perfect. And normally when things aren't perfect, those people break down and get angry and upset. Now, and then if, you, if you've ever talked to a perfectionist and, and asked them about it, they'll, they'll, they will excuse it with, well, um, are you saying I should just be lazy and do nothing? So they create this like this alternate action that is not even what you're saying, right? So let's pretend we're talking to the, the perfectionist here. And let's hypothetically, of course, not, not that this has ever happened. But you're talking to the perfectionist like, look, you don't, the house doesn't need to be that clean. By the way, I'm not talking about Kylie here. But, you know, or, or or the situation that you're making, you know, doesn't have to be perfect. And so they're upset that the wedding didn't go right because um, one of the tables didn't have its table decorations on there that the men never notice, but the women do. <laughs> and the person's extremely upset. And you're like, well, look, at you know, it's okay. And, and in the perfectionist world, the whole, the whole house of cards crashed and the whole thing's ruined. And when you try to, when you try to address the perfectionist and help the perfectionist think along um, more biblical lines of, Hey, look, um, it doesn't have to be perfect. A lot of times what they hear is, Oh, you're just promoting laziness and saying, we don't need to do anything. And, and I think that's the difference. You, you have to dig a little deeper and realize to pursue excellence is not necessarily to be a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. However, you can be a perfectionist and actually be lazy. Yeah. And you can be the, the reality is this world isn't perfect. And so, you know, Tom, Tom Brady and other quarterbacks have been noted for being perfectionist on the field. And yet they still throw interceptions. They still make mistakes. Teammates still make mistakes. Because the reality is, even though you strive for excellence, you're still living in a fallen world where where fallen things happen. Yep. And that's 
that's the reality, right? You can, you can try your best. That's, you know, every now and then something weird happens with sound and one of the sound guys will apologize. And it's like, bro, it's no big deal. And it's not, you know, and the, the reason why it's no big deal is because they work their tail off. They do a great job. And yes, every now and then something weird is just going to happen because the reality is we still live in a fallen world where people are imperfect. What about the guy that says, well, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's true. The standard to be in heaven is, is to be perfect like the heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet God is gracious to us and God is the one that makes us perfect. So for us to try to pursue that perfectionist on our own is workspace salvation. Right. So I, I, we actually are perfect as our heavenly father is perfect because the father made us perfect through Jesus Christ. Right. Whereas, you know, this difference is, you know, second, second Peter one talks about pursuing excellence. Well, yes, pursue excellence, um, strive to walk in holiness. Right. And I think, I think those are the difference. If you set up, your categories to where they're extremely extreme. If all you can think of is you're either perfect or you're a hundred percent slothfully, lazily imperfect. Well, that there's a difference. And, and so at the motive level, pursue excellence mm-hmm. at the motive level, seek to exalt God. And in the action level, seek to learn to be better so that what you, what you do produce is well done. And at, yet realize in the back of your mind, nothing's perfect. Things are just, not always going to work out. And so I have much more grace as a boss for somebody that works their tail off and as a learner who makes a mistake than I do for the one who's lazy, who doesn't care, who makes a hundred mistakes a day. And the difference there is, is their motivation and their actions. Yeah. I think one has a bigger picture in mind, whereas the perfectionist, some, sometimes all they're really thinking about is their own glory. Yes. Um, that's why a lot of times perfectionism is dangerous. It's subtle because it's like you're really rooting for yourself and the glory that comes with doing something really well done. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it is pride. It's, it, it's motivated by fear of man because you're afraid to look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting because you mentioned the past and that I sometimes <laughs> that comes from, you know, that comes from a lot of times how we're raised and what, you know, what, what kind of values we were raised with. And, and uh, unfortunately some of our parents, you know, raised us to be perfectionist, you know? So if you got a 97 on a, on a, on a test, um, some people would be say, great job. Some people would say a plus. No, you it needs to be 110%. You know I mean? <laughs> so you live with that kind of, but you know, obviously produces, good things and, and negative things uh, that come along with that. Cause you right. are always, you know, you're always strive for excellence, but you, you, sometimes you miss the big picture and the actual goal is not the, I, it's not perfection, but like to accomplish an actual goal um, and to do it well without compromising, like the sanity of everyone else working with you. <laughs> so, which is tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to work with a perfectionist. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the thing too. You're right. Cause perfectionists want, the situation to be how they want it. Mm-hmm. So they, they really want to be in the center. Um, and again, that can be motivated rightfully. Well, I just, I want the bride or I want this to like, really like just, it's all about their day and no hiccups. And so again, that striving for excellence is good, 
but then to lose it because reality wasn't what you strive for is, is a problem. Yeah. And that's why I tell, tell people like when you go to a party or an event, most people don't leave and think about all the little details. Like they're like, Hey, I hung out with this person and this person, I got to talk to this person and this person. Normally the people that show up are who they remember. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't remember a single wedding that I've been to where I thought where, you know, I mean, I know I've been to a lot of weddings right now at the top of my head. I couldn't think about any of the decals or the decor or the bride's dress or the flowers. Like none of that sticks out in my head. That's funny. Well, it's funny because I can remember those things. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the funny thing. Like I don't, but they're not the memorable things. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I'll remember like, wow, they took time to, you know, get linens. (laughs) Right, real silverware and um they took time to train their wait staff to you know ask if you want your plates i mean like that uh, it's like wow but in the end like 15 years down the road it's like that marriage ends in divorce you're not you're not thinking about the the marriage ceremony anymore the or the reception it's like what happened to the marriage like uh shouldn't you have put more work in the marriage (laughs) so well i think you know ideal versus reality too manifests itself in in evangelism where people are like, oh, you're waiting for the perfect time. There's never a perfect time. Mm-hmm. Um, some people uh, don't like to be addressed or confronted. In their head, there is a perfect way to address me. And if you don't address me perfectly, then you can't address me. There are marriages in our church, my guess would be, where one spouse hates to be addressed by the other spouse. And it's because, well, this is the most inopportune time, but the reality is there's never an opportune time. Mm -hmm. So if you're waiting for the perfect moment to lovingly address your spouse in a way and, and wives are not always right. So sometimes the husband needs to say to the wife, wife, you are wrong in this. And it is common for, you know, well, why would you bring that up now? Well, there's never a perfect time for this. Uh, if you wait for per, for the perfect time, it'll never happen. So you do your best to try to do it biblically with kindness and gentleness with the goal of rest, restoring your spouse to, to the Lord. But on the flip side, sometimes it doesn't come out perfectly. Yeah. And so if you don't do it because you're not going to do it perfectly – well, then there's a problem there because you who are spiritual, yes, seek to restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. That's important. And there's the other side of that too where you, you really, if you're the person receiving the criticism, um, the last thing you want to be is to be defensive because being defensive, number one, that's, okay, if you're defensive, you have to ask yourself, okay, why why am I prideful? Because mm-hmm. uh, if, if someone's criticizing you, right, the first thing you want to do is really say, Wow, they might be right. Might be right. I need to like examine and see and and be open to talk about. It. I think that's another thing. Like, like they might be wrong, and you might know that they're wrong. But hey, be open to talk about it. Like, ask, hey, where did I sin specifically? And you know, match it up to what the scripture says. Yeah, and be biblical about it, not just you know, oh, it was you offended me, and it was something that was like just taken wrong versus something that was actually a sin. Yeah, uh, we, I mean, I, I know I've seen people who were confronted 
and the entire confrontational discussion was, you know, the prideful person, well, you're not doing it perfectly. You're not doing it right. Your process is wrong. Your due process is wrong. Um, you should approach me differently. Like, how come you didn't, you know, and it's almost a point to where it deflected the entire time away from the issue. Mm -hmm. And so there the pride, the prideful person is like, well, in my head, I've drawn up. If I'm ever in sin, then this is how I should be approached. And so when that person doesn't approach, approach the person, like then when I go to approach that person or you go to approach that person, because you're not approaching them according to their perfect criteria, they don't want to listen. And again, that's perfect versus reality. Yes, ideally, the person comes to you and doesn't mess up one word, doesn't sound overbearing, doesn't sound indicting, um, sounds like they're compassionate, sounds like they're, they're kind, and all of that on your terms. The reality is this is never how it works. you know. And at the flip side, if you came to me and were like, Oh, I, I, I confront my wife all the time, but I don't do anything. I don't try to do it in kindness or gentleness or love because I'm never going to get it right. Well, then there's a problem there too. Yes. So you try to do it that way. The problem is because the reality is you're talking about two sticky, dirty, sinful people. It's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So if you're expecting perfection there, again, your pride is creating problems between you and the other person. This is why it's really important um, not being in isolation because you cannot learn how to navigate the, 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 the messiness of relationships without there being actual people around you. And it takes work and takes time and it takes a lot of forgiveness and uh, repentance um, and learning. Right. Uh, yes. I, I think that's what that's, there's something about uh, the church that God, and I think this is the reason why God designed it this way. It's because you do learn very unique things in the body of believers. Uh, the expectation should be that no one's going to be perfect, but there needs to be a process that uh, where we can address each other, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be always nice. It's going to be messy. Yeah. 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 That's okay. Because sin is messy. Sin is messy. Yeah. People are messy. Yeah. Um, Ideally... I mean, right, if we could live an ideal world, you'd never have to confront anybody mm -hmm. because the second you read it or heard it from Scripture, you would instantly believe and never struggle with unbelief. Right. Uh, that's just not, man, I wish that were reality. You know what's not messy? Communism. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, well, actually, communism is very messy. It is, but it's, it's, it's uh, from the perspective of, like, you know, you're looking from afar. It, Ideally... It looks Yes, it looks, it looks, everything looks in order, you yeah. know, when everyone's in line, but um, it's this false, it's a facade of it order. A facade. It's a facade of order because it's authoritarian order. Yep. Um, and, you know, this versus like freedom, like freedom, like the process, the due process is long and it's messy, yeah. but the value of freedom is much better. And in, in, in the Christian realm, you know the 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 freedom that we're talking about is really the freedom in Christ, and uh, there's lots of grace, there's lots of mercy. It's much better to have grace and mercy and walk in freedom of Christ. Um, and there's something that is reflective in governments when they walk that way, like the openness to talk through issues, the openness to discuss and and talk freely about an issue without feeling 
ashamed or without feeling like you're going to, you can't be like, you always have to be right. You right. always have to have your ducks in a row. You should be able to just speak freely and, and then when you're wrong, be corrected and accept it and move on and grow. Right. As a beauty of freedom. Um, and I think it's like, uh, there, there, I think there's a biblical virtue of freedom. Really? Yeah. Five, Galatians five, one. Yeah. 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 You, you know, Oh, I, I believe we should limit our borders and, you know, there's nice to be able to have that conversation with somebody openly and not here. Well, you must be a racist, right? It's like, oh, come on. Like that, that's, um, but the interesting part about communism is when you get over there and you see it, all of those storefronts are cheating and lying. And it's a lot of underhanded, um, conniving that goes on among the people there. Yeah. Because in order to make things work in the system, you have to you have to slip money underhanded. You have to cheat because the taxes are so high that I remember a single mom there. Um, I'm pretty sure she was cheating. You know, she preferred you to buy the coffee in cash because again, she didn't she didn't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, she didn't have to show receipts for that, yep. and you know she could show that she had coffee sales, and so she was giving fifty two percent of her money to the government. That changes things. That's a messy. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even right. Concept communism is perfect. Conceptually, it looks great from, from some standpoint. Um, but in reality, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's the human, that's this world. And the problem then comes into, which is what we kind of sat down to discuss beginning, right? Is, is your past. And you start to, you have to realize that um, for some people, our past shapes us more than other people. And for some people, the past doesn't shape us at all. But I think for most people, the past does shape us at some level. Yes. Uh, a lot of parenting is knee jerk reacting, not doing it the way you did it when you grew up, you know, Oh, and I grew up, we did this and I hated that. And I swore that my kids would never, ever, ever do that. And so then you never do that. And then your kids grow up and they actually hate that. And so when they grow up, they're like, Oh, I'm never doing that. You know, and some, you know, kid grows up and is like, oh, we didn't have rules in our house. And, and you know, Johnny's on drugs. And so we're going to have rules because we'll prevent our kids from being on drugs with rules. And so they make 6,000 rules and that doesn't happen. And it's like, well, why didn't it happen? You know, and and uh, so, right, there's that kind of thing where your past does shape you. Sometimes in your marriages, you expect, you know, well, growing up, my mom did this. So I expect my wife's going to do those same things. Growing up, my dad did this. So I expect my dad's going to do this. Um, right? Some At some level, the past does shape us. With PTSD, those are people that went through some kind of traumatic experience. Usually, uh, the PTSD people I've ever talked to, usually it wasn't like, hey, I had a bad event. Sometimes it is. Right? So sometimes you're talking to a rape victim. That rape shapes his or her personal relationships now, mm -hmm. um, you know, the prison guard who's seen a lot of gross things in the prison, maybe every day wakes up trying to shed the sinfulness that he or she was involved with when in the prison system. But um, some of us grew up and not me, but, but uh, right. Some people grew up where, in a dysfunctional home where mom or dad 
um, was abusive or, you know, maybe not even um, one. I'm slow to call the emotional abuse card, mm-hmm. but there are sociopaths, which did I get that right? Is it psychopaths? I think sociopaths are right. Sociopath. Yeah. yeah. So what's like, a sociopath again? I believe it's someone that doesn't respond. Like they they don't have the ability or they don't have the capability to respond emotionally or something like that. Like um, they they tend to, um, yeah. I don't know the clinical definition, but I know that the, that emotions, like they 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 experience it a lot differently. Sometimes they don't have any. Yeah. So they, they have they to like care. they only have to act like they have emotions. So even but you know it's interesting you bring up sociopaths because even sociopaths have to learn to love people. Uh huh. Yeah, we watched that Jordan Peterson video on sociopaths. Yeah. And um, that was interesting because that was the first time, I mean, up until that point, I always thought, oh, so that's that's a label they put on somebody who went to prison after he committed all of his crimes. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that video that we watched where Jordan was talking about there's a lot of high-functioning sociopaths who are CEOs of companies. Yes. And they're very driven. They're very structurally oriented. Uh, they're very good at what they do, but they basically have no, they basically come off like they don't care, care about people at all mm-hmm. because maybe people are just pawns or tools in their game. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they uh, don't respond to people's emotions. Well, basically. Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't feel that. Yeah. Okay. Like normally I should say normatively. <laughs> yeah. Now some wife just heard, see, I think I'm married to a sociopath. <laughs> that may not be true. No. no. <laughs> Uh, that there may take some personalizationing and you know getting into your situation. Be slow to label somebody a sociopath. Yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah. By the way, we're we're not experts in this area. We're no, just, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, um, it's just we watched a few YouTube videos, but it was interesting. Just to, I mean, the, the observations uh, of humanity in, in psychology are, like you said, often right. Yeah. But it's the solutions where they get wrong. You know, like the goals. You know, therapy, therapy can help, but like it doesn't necessarily lead you to become more Christ-like. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes they have very pragmatic, okay, hey, you're struggling with anger? Here, think through these six things when you feel angry. Yeah. And you look at them and you're like, honestly, those are all kind of biblical. Like you can find proverbs that are connected to each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, like number one is realize you don't get to control everything. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes mm-hmm. anger is you're upset that it's not how you want it to be. Right. So to realize, oh, I'm actually not in control. Hey. Harder to be angry. I feel uh, like it's so biblical. Yeah. So all that to say, right, that people wrestle with their past. Uh, right. You, for people who had PTSD, right, you went through some traumatic experience. You experienced things in the way that they were, that they should not have been uh, because of the sinful environment you live in. And again, I'm not trying to clinically diagnose this. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that this podcast is the end all, right? This is kind of a like, how do we think through? What are some of the principles we need to think through? And so when I was thinking about your past, one, there's actually a biblical text that helps us think through our past. But but in how this connects to ideal versus reality is you have to ask yourself, wait a minute. Am I looking back on my past with this expectation that I should have experienced the ideal? And a lot of times the answer is yes. 
And so if the answer is yes, I should have experienced the ideal. We're not dealing with reality at that point. Yeah. Because then the second question is, for me, who am I to say that I should have never been sinned against in this world? You're just asking for bitterness I know. in life. You are. <laughs> You're just asking for a lifelong, a, 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 yeah, lifelong bitterness. Yes. Yeah. Because now, Resentment. how dare you have done something wrong to me? And we can all fall into that trap. Every because I mean, I had. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of great things about my past, but I mean, I could think of ten things my parents didn't do perfectly, or you know, my my family or my schooling or you know where where yeah. I was born or where I was raised, and I mean, there's so many things you can start picking apart your past, and yeah. yeah. So I think what you're saying is like, uh, okay, you have to acknowledge that everyone's past is part of who we are today. And you kind of have to zoom out a little bit and realize that you cannot, you, you cannot put that expectation on the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. That'll, you, that'll just destroy you. Yeah. You need to realize that you grew up in a sinful world. And, and the reality is if you could, if I could look back on my history and again, I will confess I've struggled. I, a friend of mine said, dude, you clinically could be diagnosed with PTSD. And that was helpful to me because it helped me to stop and to, to start assessing the situation. Wait a minute, timeout. Rather than being bitter or allowing my heart to be bitter, I start to assess the situation. And I remember one of the questions I asked was, one, is it okay to lament the past things that I've experienced? And I think it's okay to lament that. Lord, it stinks that we live in a sinful world and that I and other people have experienced sinfulness from other human beings. It does stink. It's okay to say it stinks, right? The problem is where do we go from there? Do we then return fire with anger, hatred, vitriol? Or do we return fire with, okay, wait a minute. Let me start to throw myself into my own history. I treated other people like trash. I sinned against other people. It is 100% possible that somebody out there could be bitter towards me 25 years after the fact because of the way I treated them habitually on a daily basis. Absolutely. So wait a minute, if I've sinned against them and they've, and they've sinned against me right again, man, God, you were gracious enough to forgive me of my sins. Maybe, maybe I can slow down and realize, Hey, you know what? Growing up in this world means you're going to be sinned against. Yeah. And, and that's huge because Again, I'm not saying, right, somebody's like, well, but some of these people that I grew up with or maybe you had a family member or loved one um, who is still destructive, right? Maybe you have a drug addict family member who's destructive and you've experienced their destruction from their actions. I'm a huge fan of boundaries with that person only for the sake of um, trying to minister to them in a way that also keeps your 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 family and your house safe. Um, you know, some, some addicts are actually, or people with major, make major disorders for lack of a better word, major sinful, destructive patterns, right? They are destroyed. They are sinful and their anger is destructive towards other people. 
Uh, at that level, I am a fan of some kind of barrier because it, the loving thing to do is to protect the people in the house. Yep. And in that situation, I think you could say that according to the Proverbs, they're the innocent. Right? They're not innocent in the sense that they're not sinful. They're innocent in the sense that they're receiving the the actions of other people without deserving it from that person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So again, there's layers here and you got to start to peel back the layers. Um, so um, yeah, I'm not saying don't have boundaries, right? But I am saying at some level, even, even for me with family members who are drug addicts in the past um, or my wife's family or different, different people at some point you have to say, okay, wait a minute. What is the what does God's word say about my past? And here's what God's word says. Everyone is sinful. All people have fallen short of the glory of God. All people have rebelled. All people have gone astray. And because of our rebellion, we treat other people in a way that they quote unquote don't deserve. The only person we deserve the wrath from is God. Because vengeance isn't mine. Now, if you broke a law and you went through due process, that's what the government's there for. So in a sense, you got justice from the government in a way that that fits society. However, you still got to look back on that past and say, wait a minute. I'm the recipient of other people's unbelief. Is that wrong? Like, Now the next question for me is, is it wrong for me to say that I didn't deserve it? And I think that's the big question because the answer is if I say I shouldn't have received it in a way, I'm saying to God, God, it's not right that you would ever let me have a trial or a mishap or suffering because of somebody else. Now we're starting to get into bigger problems because Jesus himself said to his apostles, listen, you're going to be persecuted for my namesake. So I actually think John Right, Not only is he trying to get you to believe in Jesus, he's trying to prepare you to realize that when you go out and share the gospel, you're going to be persecuted for this. So in a way, he's preparing you for your future so that when people are mad or angry towards you for sharing the gospel, that you respond rightfully and that you're aware. So you have to take that same, okay, I'm learning that when I go share the gospel or when I talk to people about Jesus Christ that they're going to get mad at me for this. And what I've learned is that, th- that it's not necessarily me, it's the message in Jesus Christ they don't like. Hopefully I said it with kindness and love and, and compassion. But their vitriol is aimed at Jesus. So now take those same truths and look back on your past with that and realize, hey, I was sinned against because I live in a sinful world. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe I was a jerk and that person... Again, this is common human thinking. Common human thinking is, you're a jerk to me, I have a right to be a jerk back. Mm. Maybe I was even a jerk to those people. Maybe they were responding according to me. Now, biblically, should they have responded that way? No, but it actually doesn't do me good to think about what they should have done. Gotcha. Because that's a big distinction. What they should have done, that's not reality. That's ideal pie-in-the-sky thinking. What they really did was sinned. And guess what? If I could look at my past through God's eyes, I would see a life tainted with sin and rebellion. And it would be disgusting if I could see it 
through God's righteous eyes. Mm. You see what I mean? The, the problem is I think about my past. I'm the hero of my past. And I think a lot of us look through our past and we're the heroes. Nobody should give us our time. You know, nobody should, you know, it's not right that I experience these things. And again, I'm, I'm not saying I'm glad people experience rape or abuse or anything, right? We're not saying we're glad you experienced that. Mm-hmm. We're saying at some point you have to look back on that and say, wait a minute, in God's designed world, in a sinf- but that is, that is rebellious to God and sinful to him, in what world, in what way can I expect to not be on the receiving end of sin? Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I need to realize I was also on the um, offensive sinning against other people. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, uh, I think what I hear is like, you can truly be a victim uh, of, of like horrendous um, abuse, crime, um, sin in the world, but you don't have to live with that kind of victim mentality mm-hmm. um, because it is debilitating. Yes. And I think that's kind of the reason why we're bringing this up is, is because um, the past does, our past can debilitate what we're called to do and be in Christ. Yeah. It can also embitter you and that bitterness can be debilitating. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah because absolutely. you sit there and you dwell upon the past actions. And, and what really helped me was, was first Timothy, Chapter one, um, verse 12. So you think about Paul's past and right. So Paul at one point is Saul of Tarsus and he's pulling people aside and he has a letter and he's arresting people for being Christians and he's putting them before the tribunal and they're being convicted and killed. So Paul, every day of his life, could wake up as an apostle before he, I wonder how many times before he preached the word, he had this thought, what kind of man are you who killed people in the church? Hmm. Like Mm -hmm. he killed people. He's responsible. There is blood on that guy's hands. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if Paul were alive today, and there were Twitter, we would not let, we would condemn churches that let Paul preach there. Because how on earth can you allow this murderous blasphemer to come into the pulpit? Yeah. You are un, You are an unjust church. You, you are unrighteous. So Paul, every day of his life, has to wake up and realize that he killed somebody because they love Jesus Christ, whom he now loves and adores. Now, when Paul thinks about his past, listen to what 1 Timothy 1.12 says. Listen to how Paul informs himself. Right? And this is what this this is reality. Paul has finally learned to look at his past with reality. And this is ultimately where, where my PTSD got better. Because rather than allowing myself to be bitter, what I started to realize was God's gracious to me. I can be gracious to other people and I'm going to live in a world where people are going to sin against you just like I sin against God. So therefore, why don't I be gracious? Like God is gracious. Yeah. Right. And again, not if somebody's threatening my family, I'm not going to put my family before them and say, okay, right. I'm still like, I'm still going to, but at the same token, 
somebody threatening my family, the right approach for me is to pray, God, would you save this individual? Because ultimately, this person's hatred for my family is sin against you. And it's just directed at me for some reason. Mm -hmm. Now, it also probably does well for me to say, wait a minute. What skin did I contribute to the game? And do I need to repent and ask forgiveness? Mm -hmm. Because it is 100% possible that I did something that made this guy mad and he's just coming after me. So anyway, uh, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, presently strengthened me. Why? Because he considered me faithful. So, right, Paul's like, hey, man, God considered me faithful. He put me into service. And here's the part, verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. So there, Paul, right, he's not cherry picking this. He's not like, oh, I was a part of a cult and I was, mis- you know, I was, I was misled. I was just a victim. He's not playing the victim card here. He's flat out admitting to what he, to his role in this. And that's a helpful part, right? Again, if you were abused as a child, I'm not saying you as a child did something to deserve the abuse from your parents. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. However, in this case, Paul violently killed people, right? So yet I was shown mercy and here's the huge part because I acted in unbelief. And that's what we all have to realize is that before Christ and in my past, it is actually a tome of books that could record my unbelief. And that unbelief is worthy of death. It's not worthy of life. It's worthy of death. So other people's past are tomes of unbelief. The difference between my unbelief, the difference between me and my unbeliever people from the past is that God at some point saved me and redeemed me. That's it. Yeah. And that's what he says. And that verse 14, I acted ignorantly in unbelief, which is kind of a double, right? That's a, that's emphatic to say he acted ignorantly in unbelief is like, well, I was a fool who fooled. Right. Yeah. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love, which are found in Christ Jesus. And so, right. What he's saying is, look, the difference is I got saved. So how is it that Paul can still stand up and go into Corinth and preach the word knowing that he killed people? And it's this reality. You know what? I wonder if people came up to him, but you killed the church. You know what? You're exactly right. I was an unbeliever. I acted in unbelief and look at how gracious God was to me. Look at how gracious he is to me. And ultimately it's the gospel that helped with PTSD. And so for people who are struggling with their past actions, ultimately it comes down to trusting in God's sovereignty. He let you experience this. This is the hard part, right? This is the really hard part that in, in, you know, do you say to somebody who experienced rape, look, God did not want you to be raped, but you experienced it. And at the end of the day, you still have to believe in Jesus Christ. And, So let's start to learn to view our past biblically informed, realizing in a world of sin, we are going to experience the taint of sin in ways that are sometimes very hurtful and very problematic. Mm. But if I can start to realize, you know what? I'm actually no different. Yes, I never raped somebody, but my envy 
my anger, my selfishness, my bowling over people to get what I want. All of that was right. Same penalty death. Yeah. And God was gracious. And you know what? So there's a part of it's like in what Bible verse am I using to say I should be the exception to the rule? And the answer is there's no Bible verse. And in fact, if I'm being honest, I'm more like the people that abused that that were abusive than I am not like them because I too have unbelief and, and exhibited that unbelief to, towards other people. Eve, right again, because even if they sinned first Peter two, even though you revile, I'm not going to revile in return because the cross taught me to love you instead of reviling in return. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's t- those are tough truths to, to mull over. But <clears throat> again, I think, um, you know, if anyone's struggling with this, um, I think everything we said was, yeah, it's it's very biblical. Number one, like, uh, I think you have to realize maybe for the what would you say for that person that does just struggling with the with with wrestling? I mean, I guess it's good. You have to wrestle with it. I think I think don't it is. I think I think you have to wrestle with those realities. Yeah, um, that's good. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little personal here because. Like I said, I mean, I definitely wrestled with it. There are still days where something will happen and I'll just get kind of angry about what I experienced. And, and so I kind of have to walk myself back through the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there there was a while where I didn't think about it for like six, eight, nine months and things were great. Honky dory. And then a friend texted me something and I was like, Oh gosh. And for like the next 48 hours I was in a funk. And so what I'll say is this, um, I have learned that, just because you kind of can conquer that doesn't mean that you're never going to face it again. Right. I'm sure there are people, right. That pornography addictions and five years later there, there's like a night where they're like, Oh, I got it. Like all of a sudden they're wrestling with it. You know, uh, I knew a homosexual like that who had repented, got out of it, you know, five years was clean and, and had a bad night. And so all that to say is when it does pop up, I think you have to go back to the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Hey Lord, who am I? I am your child because I'm in Christ. You know what? I too have acted ignorant in my belief and I enjoy the grace that you give me. You know what? I did experience some crazy things, but you know what? I actually pray for those people. Lord, right? Cause they may be believers. They may be unbelievers. But what we want is in our right mind is we want them to be believers around the banquet table, Mm -hmm. no matter what they did in your right mind. You want somebody to be a believer around the banquet table as hard as that can be to say, right? The gospel compels me to want enemies to be at the banquet table. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of go back through that rubric. Who am I? Who am I in you? How much have you forgiven me? You know what? And then, then there's a love that comes for them because what you want to do is you want to transition from I'm the victim to your behavior to you're a human being that needs Jesus Christ. And I actually have tons of evidence to prove it to you. Right. You know what I mean? And not that you want to throw the evidence in their face to get them. The the goal is never to get them. The goal is to see them come to Christ. Mm. And that can be really hard, right? Because again, you think there are some difficult situations on this earth 
that that makes it hard to like, well, you're talking that you would want a child molester in heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. As hard as that is to say, 100%. You know, and again, no, you know, again, we're not condoning the guy's behavior. We're sure. You know what? If that means he's in prison for the rest of his life, okay. But man, that like, such were some of you, First mm-hmm. Corinthians six ten eleven, and I would love for those guys to be in heaven. And I th- right, I think the God when I think about the gospel rightfully, the people that you've encountered in your past, present, or future, who are the kind of people you want to squash like a bug. When you th- start thinking about it through the biblical lens, you're like, you know what, Lord, I hope I can, I hope you'll save them. Yeah, I think it's harder to say that. Like, you know, I want the the terrorist in heaven, the child molester, the, the you know, it, bec- un- unless we realize that. It's probably because, it is because, I should say, we value ourselves too highly. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, you know, I'm savable, but not that guy. And as bad and as, as bad as the sin is and the ripple effects that come from that sin, you know, you never want to be in the position that's where you say I'm better than that guy because no one deserves salvation. Like if, if God saved us, he should be able to save anybody he wants to, including uh, those we perceive to be the worst of society. You're right. You're right. I mean, that's, you're right. And that's that Luke seven forty seven, I think. Um, and that's deep in Luke four. <laughs> you said four forty-seven. Yeah. So thirty-six. One of the Pharisees was, was requesting him to dine with him, and he enters the Pharisee's house and reclines at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, so very expensive perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she begins to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And now when the Pharisee had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, by the way, there's something interesting. The prideful person is you get out of here. So that's why... We need to realize when when we when we don't want people to have salvation, that's from pride. Yep. We're like the Pharisees at that point. Get that person out of here. May they die. That that's horrendous. You, you would fit in well at that moment at the Pharisees' table. Mm-hmm. That's where you would sit. You would sit really well there. And so Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, Say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which was customary that he would be able to clean his feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which is the formal loving greeting, but since but she, since that time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But we know, too, that the Pharisees ultimately are mad about this and are going to try to kill him for this. So again, it's kind of this question like when you look on your past and you see these sinful people, if you're if you're if you're go if you're like man, kill them. Mm-hmm. You know. And and I would say I think it's common to hear a story about a child molester and want some kind of vengeance or justice on that guy. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think knee jerk level, there's something okay about that. Right? It's okay to be disgusted by his actions. It's okay to want justice. It's okay for those things. But I also think there's got to be a part of us that's like, you know what, man, God, I hope that guy finds you. Yep. You know what I mean? Because we're all bent. Uh, Just some of us, praise God, we're not bent in a sexual way like that. And you know what I mean? So some of us are bent in a way to where our sins are, are respectable. And nobody will ever chide us for our respectable sins. And some of some of us are bent in a way to where the red in the ledger is gross enough that, that society would chide us for it. Uh, but e- either way, man, the Gospels, right? God forgives much. Yeah. Every time he forgives, he forgives much. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to say that when we value ourselves too much and we don't, we don't understand. The second half of that is we don't understand the power of the cross to um, extinguish all, all and any sin. That's very hard to conceptualize. I think uh, when we struggle with forgiveness, we, we must look at the cross because uh, the cross, at the cross, Christ's death actually did pay for that, for forgiveness and restoration. It, it is able to pay for that, that, the worst sin you can think of. Yep. Um, and for that, we could say amen, because that could be us. That could very well be us. And we want that. We would want that. We would want that same grace and mercy if that was us. Yeah. We were sitting in a jail cell. Well, we are. We do have that same. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. We, yeah, maybe that's the that's the issue. We don't see ourselves enough as that person. Oh, totally. So. You know, and that that's right, because my goal is to start thinking about this from God's perspective and try to adopt God's perspective as much as I can as a human being, knowing I'm never going to be God. And that's okay. I don't want to be God mm-hmm. in my right mind, my wrong mind. I want to be God, but God did not need to send his son to be more fulfilled. He did not need me to have more glory. Instead, he, he chose us because he wanted to share his glory and his fellowship. And so, and I was his enemy Again, it all comes back to the gospel. Like, yes, these people are not your enemies from a godly perspective. They may be God's enemies, but God has told us, man, you you need to view them like they're valuable human beings who need salvation. And yes, their actions are evidence that they're bent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, hopefully that helps. I, I do know, I know Ramil... You know, I once told her, I said, honestly, man, I'm like a fish. And to be fair, that's true. Most of my past, I don't remember. Uh, I don't, I don't remember what I did yesterday. I don't remember what I did four days ago. Uh, we're 10, we're t- almost 10 years into the ministry. 
Uh, there are huge chunks of time somebody say something like, oh, yeah, that's true. I, did, I forgot about that. So, right, for, for the most part, my past is like something I don't even remember. It's, you know, it's like I turn the page and, I, and somebody erased the page behind me. But like Ramil said, this is a bigger issue for some people. And so there are people in the church that really do, right? They can remember everything that's ever been said to them, right? They've, they've got record logs. And I'm not necessarily saying that they're, they're holding record to hold judgment over people, right? Some people are just more influenced by their past than I am. And that's where I think Ramil, I, I think of Ramil when we did this podcast, because I think if he were here to be like, oh, you guys need to do that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So Ramil can tell us if that was yes or no. Inspired by Ramil. Inspired by Ramil. All right. All right, Doc. Uh, are, Dude, are these podcasts getting longer or what's going on? I don't on know. Here? <laughs> did we beat the did we beat the past? I, I don't know. All right, Gina Jason. Ten past nothing. <laughs> we won overtime. All right, guys. Well, until next time, we'll see you soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.